Hello, GPSers, and welcome back for a another GPS podcast. Uh, this podcast, just to remind you, is a way for you to stay in the loop on our class conversations, things that we're learning and discussing, and hopefully whether you can be in class or you are wanting to revisit a class or maybe you're wanting to share a class with someone that you would think it would benefit, uh, this podcast is a way for you to do all of the above. And we started a couple weeks ago introducing our new series that we're calling Original. And if you weren't able to be in class, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that podcast from two weeks ago. But a brief summary of where we're headed for this first series of the year is we're looking at the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. And what we're trying to do is ask the question, how would it change how we read Scripture and how we read our lives if we took Genesis 1 and 2 as the starting point for the story of Scripture and the story of our life. And so we're doing a deep dive into Genesis 1 and 2 and trying to zoom in on some things that I think are particularly important for us to pay attention to. And so two weeks ago, we introduced a series. Last week, we read Genesis 1 and 2 and did some reflection on kind of a zoomed-out, wide-angle lens on those two chapters together. And today we're going to make a turn into zooming into some specific things about these first two chapters of the Bible uh, that I think are especially important for us to pay attention to as we consider Scripture and as we consider our lives. But first I want to tell a story in order to jump into our first main topic for this series When I went to graduate school, I attended in a small town in Texas, a very small university. I didn't know anyone at this university, but had been recommended by some professors at my previous school that this would be a great place for me to study. And so I went not knowing anyone. And it was a bit of an overwhelming experience because you're moving to a brand new place and you don't know anyone and you're uncertain as to how it's going to go. And I distinctly remember because of all of these emotions of that start of school, the very first day of my classes. And I had two classes on that very first Monday in August of 2006 And I remember I went to the first class and had a pretty good experience. And then I went to the second class and on the very first day had an experience that has stayed with me since that day of class. It was a class on the Old Testament. It was an Old Testament survey. So we were going to move through the whole Old Testament through the year, and our professor got up the first day of class, and he was doing the things that professors do. They take role, and they try to get to know some of the students, but because this was a graduate school class, it was a three-hour class, and so we did a lot more than just take role on this first day. He took role, got to know us, and then he launched into his first lecture And he had his notes on the podium, and the dry erase board was behind him, and I could tell that this was a lecture that he had delivered before. And it was a great lecture, but I could also tell that he was following along the notes of his first day class lecture. But then he did something in the middle of that lecture that I would come to find he would do on a regular basis, and that is he would move away from the podium 
and leave his notes to share extra information to go on tangents, sometimes to go on these rants, and then he would come back to his notes. And, and the first time he ever did this on his first day of class, he was lecturing about expectations and things to get out of the class. And then he walked away from the podium and he began to, to say, if there's one thing that you get out of this particular program for the next few years, he says, I hope that you will make sure that you ask the question over and over and over again, who is God? He said, who is God is one of the most important questions you will ever ask. And if you pursue that one question, then it will change your life forever. And he went back to his podium and he continued to go on with the lecture. And even though this side comment was only about 30 seconds to a minute, it lodged in my heart and has been this memory that I've returned to over and over and over again because that question, who is God, has been this question that I've returned to over and over and over again. Not just in that class, but in other classes, and not just in the classroom, but in my life. And the more that I have asked that question, the more I have found what my professor said on that day to be a true statement. This question, who is God, is one of the most important questions that we could ever ask. And that's especially true when we read Scripture. And this question, who is God, should be one of the very first questions, if not the first question that we ask when we approach the story of Scripture. Now, before we jump into Genesis and why I think that's important, a couple of of quotes that I think reaffirm why this is such an important question for us. This one, one of my favorites from Anne Lamott, she says, You know you have created God in your own image when God hates all the same people that you do. Uh, Thank you, Anne Lamott, for those uh, somewhat confronting words. You know you've created God in your own image when God hates all the same people you do. If it happens that God is opposed and against and frustrated with all the same people that you are, then you probably are guilty of creating God in your own image. And the second quote that I've recently stumbled upon that I've been chewing on the last couple of months. This is from Michael Reeves. Christianity is not primarily about lifestyle change. It is about knowing God. I think these two quotes are these helpful reminders. One kind of a a criticism and one kind of bringing us back to the core of faith that that both remind us that this question of the nature of God, the character of God, who God is, is this really important part of the walk of faith. And while we can sometimes quickly skip over that very first verse in the Bible because it's so familiar to us, I just want us to slow down and pay attention to how the Bible begins and how the story of Scripture begins, the very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Four words in, 
we are introduced to the main character of the story. In the beginning, God. And I think where that is placed in the story is significant for us to pause and reflect that right at the beginning, right at the start of the story, we are introduced to God. And everything else that we read throughout Scripture should be shaped by that introduction, by that very first person that we meet. Imagine if you came over to my house this afternoon or this evening or this morning, depending on when you're listening to this, and I was standing at the front door of my house there on those brick steps, and you walked up to the front of the house, and I greeted you there, and I said something along the lines of, Welcome to my home. I'm so glad you're here. And then as we were to walk into the house, we would open the door, and there on the left, what you would see would be some pictures of me with my family. You would see a church pew from the church where I grew up. You would see some other artifacts from the last few years of my life with my family. And then we would make our way through the house, and I would show you around, and you would see a variety of objects, paintings, rugs, pictures, TV, books. And no matter where we were in the house, and no matter what object we were looking at, you would know that there was something about that object, or that place, or the way a room was decorated that would reflect something about who I am and who my family is and the kind of person that I am. (laughs) And probably, uh, because I have a, a newborn, some of those things would be intentionally there for you to see and notice. And then there may be some things that I didn't want you to see that are just kind of left out that are still a reflection of, of who we are and the kind of family we are. And I, and I think that's a helpful metaphor for thinking about the first few words of Scripture, that, that we meet God at the front door, so to speak. And as we step into the story of Scripture, as we step into this house of God and we move through all of these poems and stories and prophetic critiques and narratives and all these different types of literature that we're going to meet throughout Scripture, that the question that we can keep coming back to, the thing that we can keep in the back of our minds is that there's something about this story or this poem or this prophetic critique or this parable that should point us back or make us consider who God is and what this says about God and what this has to teach us about God. And so I don't want us to skip too quickly over the first person we meet, four words into Scripture, because it's going to shape everything about what we read for the whole story of Scripture. And so what I want us to do is to pay attention in these first two chapters of the Bible to the things that we learn about God in this creation account. That I want us to to pay attention to the God that we meet in Genesis 1 and 2, Because one of the things that we need to be clear about when we read this creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 is that what's happening here is the people of God are making these claims about who God is 
the nature of God, the character of God, that, that what we're reading in these opening chapters of creation are these confessions of faith. And so we need to pay attention to who God is in Genesis 1 and 2. So what I want to do in this podcast is to do what we did in class, which is I want to read Genesis 1-1 through 2-4a and simply ask the question, who is the God that we meet in Genesis 1? And the reason why I say Genesis 1-1 through 2-4a is because one of the traditional breakdowns of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 is is that Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 2-4a is considered this first creation account, this first take on creation. And then starting in verse 2-4b all the way to the end of chapter 3, you you have this second complementary account. And so Genesis 1 is kind of this wide-angle lens on creation. And then Genesis 2 and 3 are more a zoomed-in account, specifically addressing humanity and what happens and what develops in the story with humanity. And so for now, we're just going to focus on the first one, Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 4a, with that question in mind, who is God here at the beginning of the story? So all I want to do is I want to read the first chapter of Genesis, and then in this podcast, I want to share some of the reflections that were shared in class and then we'll end there. And then in the next podcast, what I want to do is I want to pick up where we left off, and I want to share a bit more specific traits of God that I think are particularly important for us to pay attention to. So we're going to finish this podcast, read Genesis 1, talk about what was shared in class, from the class, and then in the next podcast, we'll talk about some things that I think are particularly important for us to notice about the nature and character of God. So I'm going to read Genesis 1, and as I read, I just want you to listen with a few questions kind of rolling in the back of your mind. What What is it that we learn about God from this first chapter? What do we learn about the nature and character of God? Who is God according to Genesis 1? And one helpful tip is to pay attention to the verbs, the action words that are associated with God. Because you can learn a lot about someone by watching what they do. And so pay attention to what God does in this first chapter And that could give us insight into the nature and character of who God is. So here's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. 
So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the living creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. 
So as you can tell, God is doing a lot in this opening chapter. I made a list of all of the verbs that are associated with God in this this opening chapter. And here's just a list of them for those keeping score at home. God creates, God hovers, speaks, sees, separates, calls, makes, sets, blesses, gives, finishes, works, does, rests. You can see this variety of things that God is doing in this opening chapter. Now, those are the verbs associated with God, but what was really interesting in our class conversation were some of the the insights that the class observed about what we learn about God in this opening chapter. And so here's some of the things that were shared in class. We talked about how it is clearly communicated in this opening chapter that God is creating everything, that, that everything has its origin and source in God's creative power. And that's this really significant statement about the faith of the people of God. We also talked about this powerful image of God that is communicated by God simply speaking creation into existence. That God speaks and things happen, and that is a powerful God who can do such things. We also talked about, though, that God's not just being powerful, and I thought this was really interesting, but God is also providing by giving good things to creation. Like the image that's painted here is this really abundant, ordered, beautiful creation. And if we tip ahead a bit and look ahead to chapter 2, We're going to read how there are these trees that God provides that are good for food and they're pleasing to the eye. And so God isn't just this powerful God. God is also providing pleasurable good things to creation. We talked about how that God is doing a lot more than just ordering creation, but but God is also giving purpose. And so, yes, God separates and orders things, but there's also purpose being given. There are these roles, there are these functions given, and there's something about that that also shows something about God. Uh, one person used the example of, of an orchestra director, that the person who is conducting the orchestra like an artist is shaping and moving things in a certain direction. And there is this kind of artistic dimension to what God is doing. God is this conductor of creation, putting it into existence, creating it into existence, and then kind of shaping it and directing it to go in particular directions. Uh, We also talked about how there is this image of God as one who is relating this relational God relating to creation and relating to humanity. And what's really interesting is that there is this kind of tension built in that that there is a, a closeness of God because God is creating these things. And whenever you create something, there is this closeness. But there's also this, this distance as well because God can step back and see things and assess things and name things. And, and so there's this tension already in this opening chapter of God being very intimate and yet also God being transcendent. And that's going to be an important theme that will play out 
throughout Scripture, in fact. And then where class ended was, I think, a really important point to end on, where God noted that God wasn't just, or someone noted, God didn't note, God was not in class. Someone noted that when God speaks, God uses this phrase, let there be, which is a really interesting way to think about God speaking, that, that God is, is speaking in such a way where God is making some space for things to happen, where God is making some room for creation to do things, that God here isn't micromanaging with this tight grip, making sure things are going in just a certain way, but God is kind of shaping things and creating things and putting things in place and giving them purpose and then giving them this freedom to go and create more and do more and keep moving creation along. And all of these things that people listed, I I found so valuable because I think a lot of these initial images that we have of God in Genesis 1, and I think we'll see some of them in Genesis 2, are maybe challenges to some of the popular images that we can sometimes carry with God, carry of God, carry with us of God where we can sometimes see God as this clenched fist tyrant, kind of micromanaging things. But that's not really the image of God that we have in the opening of Genesis. Sometimes we can maybe carry with us this image of God where God is distant and detached and kind of maybe even indifferent towards creation. But the image that we have of God here in Genesis 1 is a a God who is very close and very connected to creation. There's there's relationship here. There's not a sense of being removed. And those are just kind of a couple examples where what we read about God in Genesis 1 challenges and pushes against some of these images of God we carry with us. And it's for that reason, one among many, that, that I think it's important for us to slow down and pay attention to this God we meet in Genesis 1. And so those are things that were shared in class, and that's a summary of what we talked about that first week of this two-part week of who God is in Genesis 1. And so we're going to end things there, but in the next podcast, what I want to do is continue this conversation by highlighting a few specific things about God that I think are particularly important for us to see, not just in how we understand who God is, but also in how we understand who we are. So thanks again for your time and attention and your willingness to listen and engage, and we will see you back here next time as we continue this conversation about who God is in Genesis 1 and 2.